We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. How would you like a free case of craft beer? Well, as a listener to our show, we'd like to thank you for listening. And with the help of our friends at Beer52.com, we can do just that. Just go to Beer52.com forward slash vision. That's Beer, the number 52.com forward slash vision to claim a free case. Beer 52 is the world's most popular monthly craft beer discovery club. They search out incredible and exclusive small batch craft beers from the world's greatest breweries and bring them back for their members. There is a whole world of craft beer out there. You don't have to drink the same thing over and over again. You don't have to order beer not knowing what you like. Just get on board with discovering great craft beer with Beer52.com. Every month focuses on a new country or theme, and if you sign up now, you'll get the chance to try a case of the best of British craft beers as part of their Summer Bangers selection, all for free. Featuring the country's best craft brewers, such as Northern Monk, Ilkley, Red Willow, and Thornbridge, all very delicious, you'll be able to read all about the beers and learn more about how they are made in a 100-page ferment magazine included in the box. As a listener to our show, you can try your first case for free. Just pay £2.95 postage. That's it. Eight incredible craft beers delivered to you, Ferment Magazine, and a snack. There's no minimum commitment. You can just take the free case, try the beers, see what you think. If it's not for you, you can pause, cancel any time. Beer 52 has a five-star rating on Trustpilot, so it's easy to see that their members love the service. Do it now. Try some craft beer. Just visit beer52.com. That's www.beer52.com forward slash vision and claim your free case today. Try it. Beer52.com. It is the way to learn more about great beers around the world. Offer valid in the UK only.
Torreira, whoa, Torreira, whoa. He came from Uruguay to play for Unai Emery. Torreira, whoa, Torreira, whoa. He may not be pretty, but he's better than Mustafi. Torreira, whoa, Torreira, whoa. He's only five feet tall. He loves to win the ball. Torreira, whoa, Torreira, whoa. He stops counterattacks when Shaka's dribbled past. Tur- no, this is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I'm sorry that went on way too long. I could do a million of those, but instead of doing a million of those, I want to give you a million stats, a million facts, a million details to break down what was the blockbuster news story of today. That's right. We are recording this on Tuesday, July 10th, 2018, and clearly... The blockbuster story of the day. On a day when, yes, Riyad Mahrez signed for Manchester City, and yes, France advanced to the World Cup final, and yes, Cristiano Ronaldo signed for Juventus, none of it, none of it rivaled the news that Lucas Torreira had signed for Arsenal. A bombshell. No one saw it coming. Came out of the blue. And here to discuss it with me is Scott. You can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing great. As you can tell, I am fired up. I have a coffee next to me. It is half empty. Uh, You might think that it would be entirely empty the way I've started this podcast, but this is it. This is what we live for. A real quality, top-flight, age-appropriate signing. Someone who does not come already on his social security benefits or whatever benefits they call them uh, over there in that part of the world. Uh, he certainly does not increase the handsome factor of Arsenal, but he does increase the bastard factor just a little bit, and that is important. Um, I want to do this first. Since we haven't spoken to you all summer, I kind of want to get your feel, just really quickly summarize for me how you feel about the other business we've done to this point overall. Um, I mean, I guess I would say if there was one word to sum it up, I'd say competent. I mean, it's, you know, they've gone out and identified some players that are, you know, some areas of need that needed to, to get some new players in, and they've went and done it. Um, before Terraria came in, uh, none of the guys were super exciting. Um, I'm kind of intrigued by some of the young players, but, you know, young players are always, you know, fun, and you can project your hopes and dreams onto them. Um, everyone else has been, hey, that's not a bad signing. It's pretty good. And that's exactly kind of what we needed in some of those spots. But Terraria. He's the one that really, yeah, is exciting. I don't know if I, I'm ready, ready to sing quite like you. But. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> um, well, I, there is apparently a, a youngster that we're signing to whose name escapes me. It starts with a G, I believe, a, a French League Two player. So we potentially, I mean, there are pictures floating around of us of him signing a contract. So presumably, uh, we've actually made two signings today. Do you know anything about the kid that you might want to uh, mention before we dive into Terreira? Oh, absolutely nothing. Fantastic. That's what we like. <laughs> so that's that means he's, he's going to be one of the best players ever. And right? it is. That's how it works. Well, I mean, I'm sure the comps will prove that. Uh, look, this is what is interesting, though. I think if you go back 10 years and we had signed a 22-year-old Uruguayan from Sampdoria to play in uh, midfield and really be the, the midfield anchor we've been crying out for, I think a lot of people would be very worried. There'd be maybe some collective shrugs. There'd be this sense of, of underwhelming... Uh, reaction to it but what's changed so much with social media and youtube compilations and the exposure to the game and i realize a a pretty decent world cup that he had but even before the world cup there was a lot of excitement for this player arriving and i think it's great so obviously we know uh 22 he's he's at that age that we have maybe missed out on someone who 
arrives ready to play in the first team, having had first team experience at a decent sized club, but could now take the leap into stardom where he becomes either the linchpin for dare I say it, a title-winning Arsenal team, or you know, at minimum, maybe becomes the key piece that we sell to revitalize the team when he becomes that 80 million pound signing, when he, when he elevates his game to the Naby Keita sort of level that we saw uh, Liverpool go out for from Red Bull Leipzig. But in terms of the type of player we're getting, my eyes tell me um, that we are getting sort of a tigerish, defensively oriented, solid midfielder, if not uh, remarkable technically, someone who can... Uh, use the ball efficiently and intelligently. Do you want to sort of break down for us maybe some of the statistics of his gameplay at Sampdoria and and what type of player we're getting? And maybe if there are any myths about him, you could dispel some of those as well. Sure. Yeah. So um, one of the things that that really jumps out when you when you look at him is that well, one he's an incredibly small player. I think he's a 168 centimeters or something like that. And you know I'm not very great with the the centimeters, but that's pretty short um, from what I know. But that being said, he, he doesn't seem to get bullied at all in the ball. I know you're watching him in the World Cup because, I, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest, I don't watch a, a ton of Serie A. Um, that's probably the, the third-rate competition on being sports here for, for actually showing games, and especially Sampdoria is not high on the list. So a lot of my, my previous scouting before the World Cup had, had come from YouTube compilations like I'm sure, you know, many people's had. But, um, yeah, his, his defensive output is, is very impressive. Um, I have him, you know, 2.9 tackles, um, successful tackles per game, um, just dribbled past 1.3 times, only fouls 1.3 times per game. So really quite a bit of action in there. And the other thing that I was actually really impressed with is um, his Uruguay performances were his ability to always seem to be in the right position um, to actually kind of stop things before he actually had to make an intervention. Uh, a lot of times, you know, that's the the biggest thing where, the defensive stats really let you down is if you don't make an action, it's not recorded and it doesn't seem like you did anything. But, you know, if you watch the game with him in it, he's always in the right spot. He doesn't seem to be getting out of position and he always seems to give good structure to the midfield um, defensively um, when the team is out of possession. And also when the team is in possession, he doesn't seem to unbalance the team. So it's, it's very impressive um, from him that I I like that, especially, you know, coming off, he's, he's 22 and he's putting out this kind of defensive output, it's it's all the more impressive to me. And I think it speaks volumes to his quality that at 22, you know, Uruguay started the tournament with him on the bench and quickly became aware that they needed him in the side for balance in the midfield. I think, to your point, defensive statistics are tough, especially for midfielders, because if you constantly deny the passing lanes and deny those uh, final third entry passes, you don't get a statistic for that. You know, there's no way to measure that. Uh, but it is a critically important skill set for the deepest midfielder, right? To to deny passing lanes, especially in central spaces and half spaces, to the forwards. So it's something he seems to do well. Now, you did mention a few statistics, though, in terms of tackle, dribbled pass, things like that. Where would that put him, you know, p- putting those those stats in context to understand that they're not everything, where would that put him sort of vis-a-vis the other midfielders we have at the club? So one of the things that I, I asked for some questions on Twitter um, when we announced that we were going to do this podcast, and one of the people um, asked if I could compare him to Coughlin's great season uh, with Arsenal, where he was basically tasked with being, uh, you know, the bulldog in the midfield. Um, so if you look at him, so this is his age 26 season, I believe. Um, so he's four years older than what Torreira was last season. So uh, Coughlin had 3.7 total tackles um, compared to 2.9 for Torreira. 
He was dis- um, he was dribbled past 1.7 times um, compared to 1.3 for Torreira. Um, so he, attapt- he attempted a few more tackles, uh, was successful a bit more, but also unsuccessful a bit more. So the, the actual tackle rate is about the same. Um, the interceptions, 2.6 um, for Coughlin, 2 for, inter- um, for Torreira. Um, part of that could be the the league differences. Serie A is a, a lot slower league, mm-hmm. where they don't quite do as many passes. And you know, if there's less passes, there's going to be less interception opportunities. Um, you also look at blocked passes. Um, that's about the same at one a game each. So to me, um, you look at at Coughlin, who that was his big calling card was all right. I'm going to be the defensive block in the midfield, and I'm going to stop everything. And Torreira, you know, four or five years younger. Um, pretty much matches everything that he does there. And I think that um, he also adds a lot more on the offensive side. Um, you know, he carried a big load for Sampdoria compared to what Coughlin was forced well, to do with Arsenal. That. Yeah, because I think that's the one thing, you know, I, you may be aware that I never warmed to Francis Coughlin. And part of my argument was that he was basically a zero in possession. And so you needed a player like Santi Cazorla who could play almost like two players in midfield. And when we didn't have him, we, we really, the, the midfield became dysfunctional with Coughlin in it. So as far as uh, on the ball in possession, is, is that an area where Torreira distinguishes himself in a way that perhaps Francis Coughlin did not? Yeah. And I think so. Um, he doesn't necessarily do as many of the, the big flashy passes um, as you know, you'd see some from from some of the other midfielders, but I don't think that's going to be the the role that he's going to be tasked with playing in Arsenal. Um, when we have so many other midfielders, that that is really their forte. I mean, he's going to hopefully slot next to to Xhaka, and that's something that you want him doing. Um, you want him to be able to to ping those passes and and you know try to break lines um, or advance the ball um, into the final third. And then once you get into the final third, you're really looking for for Ozil or Mkhitaryan to be able to, to make that final pass. So I don't think that, you know, you're necessarily looking for him to, to make that final pass. I think you want him to be able to, to hold on to the ball, but also still be comfortable in possession to where, you know, if, you know, somebody goes out with a game plan of, all right, we're not going to let Xhaka beat us, Torreira is still capable of making those passes. And I think you look at his stats and he's, he's more than capable of doing that. Um, so, I, I you know, looking at the, the progressive passing um, last year, I had him at, you know, an overall value of uh, 0.697. So that's, you know, um, in the upper third um, of the uh, the spectrum here. So, you know, what, I have What would him, like a um, Shaka rate in something like that? Uh, let's see. I can pull that up here. Let me just throw things at you to test the speed of your database. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> Why not? Well, and, and the other thing is that, I mean, and I'm taking this purely from watching him in the World Cup and from comps I've seen. He does seem to be comfortable with the ball at his feet. He has the ability to dribble out of pressure. And, and sort of wriggle out of tight spaces similar to what a Cazorla did, which is a big issue for Shaka because when he feels that pressure get close to him, he's usually unable to get out of those tight spots. So, I mean, is that something else that, that you find to be true? Did he complete a decent amount of dribbles at Sampdoria? Um, so, yeah, dribbling-wise, he was um, you know one dribble a game um, kind of player. Um, he actually isn't the best dribbler in the completion percentage wise because you know he he attempts over two dribbles a game so he's about 50 percent dribbler um so it's not necessarily something that you're gonna interesting um, okay yeah i mean it, it's it's not bad he's also fouled quite a bit um so i mean to me that kind of looks like so he hard to get the ball off him yep exactly so you know he's gonna try to take on a player probably about four or five times a game he'll get past him once get fouled twice and maybe lose the ball once um, the other thing is, but he also is very solid um, in his touch. He only has one bad touch a game 
um, on average, which is uh, a very solid number for a midfielder. Um, you don't want really, I mean, sometimes, you know, you get, um, so Coughlin was at um, 1.7 um, in his best season, um, which, you know, that extra, that's basically an extra bad touch a game or every other game. So that's really um, not very good. Well, so and that's also, that, you have to put that in the context of the percentage of touches, right? I mean, how many touches a, ter- a Terrera averages in a game and Coughlin averages in a game. You know, I would imagine that Terrera was more uh, involved in the buildup for Sampdoria, but then again, Arsenal possessed the ball more. So I guess it could cut either way. I know that we didn't really use Coughlin in buildup, but we did have a lot more possession, arguably. Exactly, and that's something that I'm actually in the process of working on, getting some, some more data on. Um, I know I've actually started working on this for the the World Cup, where I'm looking at you know total offensive actions taken. So you know you'd look at total passes, touches, dribbles, mm-hmm. you know times that you're fouled, and then trying to to get an idea of all right, so um, how many times were you, did you lose possession per offensive action? Because you know you, a lot of these players are are high, are high volume players, so you look at these on a per ninety basis, and it might look bad, but then you kind of need to adjust it for. You know, how much are they on the ball? Are they on the ball a lot? And then it's, you know, then their percentage of losing the ball isn't nearly as bad. Because I think that was part of the, you know, not not to really go back and beat a dead horse, but I think that was a lot of the Alexis problem. You know, he was such a major focal point of the attack. And that really juiced his his numbers where, you know, he lost the ball, but he also had a, a high number of touches. So it's, it's almost like a, a usage stat that you would see like a, in basketball. So that's something that I'm I'm slowly trying to work on as I go through the database this summer. Although I've been a little bit distracted with World Cup, which is you know not a bad thing. No, no, I think I think for most of us, you know, it's it's weird to get clawed back into the the club mindset uh, while the World Cup is is sort of cres- reaching its crescendo here. And as far as we said in terms of his progressive play uh, compared to someone like Ashaka who's who's been tasked with playing at the base of midfield, I mean, do we see comparable progressive? Play yeah, so, so so Jacka was you know almost um, ten, um, which he, he's he actually rates very highly in this. Um, you you but, would kind you know, of expect that because otherwise, what the hell is he there for? <laughs> exactly, but you know if if you look at some of the players around Torreira, you know um, Leroy Sané is actually just below him at six point eight. Um, you know there's some of the other players. Let's see, um, uh, Shakiri uh, for Stoke was six point five nine. So players that we think of as being more attack oriented. Exactly. And, and so he's, he's up, definitely yeah. in that that upper portion. You know, definitely a very good player. Um, but again, if we're if we're looking at per passes, um, he's at point one five um, in the PP passing value added per fifty passes. Point one five, which is you know maybe about the the seventieth percentile. So not an elite number, but still a, a good number, um, especially when you're looking at the the age at twenty two. Um, to me, that shows that he's you know very good for his age. Yeah. Um, when you're comparing him to you know players in their prime, and he is still in that development area. Um, the other thing that I thought that actually was very positive, and something that you know I've really um, looked at as um, one of uh, Arsenal's problems, is the connecting the midfield to the final third. That seems to be um, an issue that that Arsenal had last year, especially when Ozil wasn't necessarily in the game or when Xhaka was having his problems early in the season. Um, so one of the things I look at for that is you know successful final third entry passes. Um, and Torreira actually you know was 192 of 287, so almost 70 hmm. percent um, in his final third entry percentage, um, and he actually rates very highly in uh, volume um, for this stat. So that's a, a very positive stat for me to be able to see um i have him 
um, you know, as, let's see, count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth most um, in you all. You're running of out the of fingers there. Leagues. You got lucky. Yes, I was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah, he's definitely up there. Um, you know, just behind guys like Fernandinho, um, you know, uh, Gabby. So from Atletico Madrid, so very good um, player, at least in this regard. And I think that that's something that um, Arsenal will definitely um, be a very positive side because, you know, you can't be dependent on one player to move the ball forward for you all of the time. Um, And that's something that it seems to do very well um, at getting at a high percentage. Well, you know, I think this bears out another important point here, too, which is, you know, you look at like a Francis Coughlin, and not to just keep beating on Francis Coughlin, but why not? It is the case that in a lot of games in the Premier League, you know, 75% of the games, we're the overwhelming favorite. We're going to have overwhelmingly dominant possession, and we're going to be parked in the attacking third. And you want your midfielders to be able to participate in that buildup, to deliver the ball into the final third accurately and repeatedly. You want them to be able to carry the ball forward. And and when you use Francis Coughlin against, you know, a, a bottom third of the table team at home at the Emirates, you're really putting a lot of pressure on the other players you have in the side to to help create attacks and move the ball and and pull defenders out of position. And it sounds like Torreira has at least some of the markers that you would look for that suggest that he can be a part of that process that, you know, certainly we, we're going to talk a lot about and focus a lot on his defensive awareness, his defensive statistics, his ball recoveries, uh, interceptions, tackles, things like that. But those are features of his game that will certainly be very, very important when we play away where we struggled last season, when we play against the big clubs, which we've obviously struggled with over the past few years. But I, I think the home games against smaller clubs the fact that he can contribute in the attack is is relevant. I mean, is is that something that you would agree with? Oh, definitely. So, one of the things that's been frustrating for me with Arsenal squad building is that a lot of the players that have been targeted and have signed lately seem to have at least one major flaw. Sure, they have you know quite a few elite skills where they're you know probably world class at, but they all have something that you know the opposing team can key on and try to exploit. Um, you know, Shaq is the poster is child for that. Yeah, great passer. If you give him space, he can shoot from distance. I wish he would stop doing it quite as much. <laughs> right. But he, yeah, he has great skills: running, defending, making smart decisions, defending. Not always one of them. But when I look at Torreira. I see someone who may not have that one necessarily super elite skill, but he's very well-rounded. And I think that as he gets older, he might be able to, to develop some of these defensive skills, if that's what the, the way that Arsenal need him to be, grow into a Conte's-type player. Because to me, that would be the absolute dream um, if he was able to carry another midfielder as that, you know, basically be two defensive midfielders in one like Conte. But I think he also has the ability, if it's uh, something that, you know, we want to focus on to actually become a very, very good passer. So to me right now, he doesn't necessarily have a a weakness that opposing coaches can go out and game plan and say, we're going to force him to do this and it's going to cause Arsenal's midfield to unravel. So to me, that is one of the, the more important parts is that he's going to bring balance to whoever he's playing next to. If he's playing next to a guy that's more defensive, he can take on more of an offensive role. If he's carrying next to someone who's a little bit more offensive, 
he can take a little bit of a backseat and, you know, make sure that he's playing the quarterback and, you know, just distributing him the ball and not having to, to take that responsibility on himself and focus more on the, the defensive duties. I so. don't want to spoil this for you. He's not going to be playing next to someone who's defensively oriented because <laughs> there's no one else at the club that's like that. So uh, he'll have to do the other thing you mentioned. But, you know, I think there's another point here, Scott, which is that, I mean, he's going to be playing probably in front of a defense, central defensive pairing of Mustafi and Socrates, which I'll admit doesn't inspire me with the greatest degree of confidence. On some days, it may be holding in Chambers or Chambers and Socrates or holding in Mustafi or some combination of those guys or maybe Mavropanos. So either inexperienced players that still haven't proven themselves or experienced players that have question marks around them. If it was Granit Xhaka standing in there protecting those central defensive pairings, I would be pretty terrified considering how many goals we leaked last season with arguably better defensive pairing uh, with Koscielny in there. So getting this player who can deny entry pass, passes into the forward, who can block the lanes, who does a great job shielding the defense, the, the center of the defense right at the, the D, you know what I mean? So the top of the D, the top of the 18-yard box, I think that is so crucial uh, given that we, we have some concerns about our central defensive pairing. So would you say that his arrival alleviates for you some of the fear of, of what we can put out there in terms of central defenders? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that this year that would... I, well, I'm hoping actually even just the, the change in tactics, I guess, would, would eliminate some of this, even with, you know, Haddon um, Torreira brought in. The, you know, some of this was a, a structural issue where there was too many times where it would be two-on-two, three-on-three, um, where people running at our defender. So I'm hoping there's a, a little bit less of that this year. Um, and I think Torreira can actually go into a, a system that's actually been strengthened structurally um, and actually stop some of these counterattacks a little bit earlier or being able to play them a little bit better than what Xhaka would be able to do because he's actually mobile. And, you know, I, I don't want to say, like, I'm, I'm hating Xhaka because I really do like Xhaka, but that is always something that scared the crap out of me seeing him trying to, to run back with players or, you know, be one of those guys that's trying to, to follow a runner in his 18-yard box. You know, Torreira's not big, but you can see that in the World Cup, there's the, the picture going around of him really just bossing Ronaldo. Off the ball, um, yeah. Their, yeah, exactly, like shoulder charging him off, yep. You can, just, you can just see that he's, he's small, but he is not a guy that is going to get out muscled necessarily because you know he's got he's low to the ground and he uses that to his advantage to, to really get the, the leverage on the bigger players so to me having that ability to, to follow runners to be able to to defend and really keep things out of the middle of the field where things are so dangerous against arsenal really just is yeah I, I'm, I'm optimistic so let's do this. Let's play a little uh, fantasy manager here, a little football manager. And I mean, with him in the side, it, it gives us a lot of opportunity to experiment with lineups, experiment with formations. I've seen a lot of chatter on social media about how we now look really set up to play with a diamond uh, in midfield. I'm not aware of Emre ever doing that or not doing that. I mean, to you, is that the most natural use of the players? What are some formations you think could be an interesting way to deploy this group of central midfielders and, and the team generally? Yeah, I mean, the diamond, if you, if you actually kind of look at the players, it's really hard to imagine how things fit in because there really isn't any real natural wide play, wide forwards. There's a lot of guy, tens that can play out on the wing. I guess in, you know, Ozil and Mkhitaryan can both, I guess, theoretically be played on the wings, but that's really not where they're best. They're really best, I guess, more in the, the half space with free rolls. 
So it's a man. It, it's a it's a very hard thing for, for our, what Emery's going to have to do to put in. How would you line them you up? Have, I'm not not letting you squirm out of this. Line up our okay. team. Okay. <laughs> I, I almost I almost kind of like you know the the old RB Leipzig four two 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 kind of a thing. I think that was always a, a fun formation that that they threw out there. So what um, would it, what would it be for you? Terrera, so, you know, you Terrera Shaka. Yeah, Terrera Shaka. Then maybe Ozil Ramsey. Uh, then yeah, Bombing Yang, Lacazette, and then you know if you're if you're needing something, you can bring Mikatarian on for for depth or rotation. It's and then you know that's a pretty flexible formation that you can give that midfield some some pretty good freedom to be able to kind of interchange and move around. It's yeah, I mean I guess I mean the other option you know you go that four two three one with. I mean, yeah, I mean, or the 4-4, four, four, yeah, it's, it's tough, because, I mean, it's like, do you try to squeeze both uh, Lacazette and Aubameyang in at the same time? Like, do you need to go two strikers? I mean, in it's, a four-diamond two, you can do that, right? I mean, you could put Torreira at the base of midfield, Shaq and Ramsey at the sides of the diamond, Ozil at the point, and Aubameyang and Lacazette, or Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang, or Mkhitaryan Lacazette, and you can kind of rotate the three for those two positions, or even arguably play Mkhitaryan at the point of the diamond if you had to. Um, I mean, it puts a lot of pressure on your fullbacks to provide the width. So, you which know, I, I think is almost anything Arsenal do. You're going to have to because we don't have wingers. Yeah. Because even even if you play, you know, the four two three one, those guys are nominally wide, but they're going to spend a lot of time cutting in at a, at a minimum into that half space. They're not going to be you know traditional wingers out you know on the the chalk. I, I guess. You know, the the question is why not just the four three three? I mean, didn't Emery? prefer that sort of at, at PSG and you have Torreira sort of at the base of a, a flying V with Shaka and Ramsey. And then you have Ozil shunted out to one of the wide of the three, Mkhitaryan, the other and Aubameyang up front and lock as that just becomes the alternate center forward. Exactly. And I think that a lot of times that's probably going to be the way it looks, no matter, you know, whatever is printed on the, the game sheet. Um, I think you're going to see Ozil probably, still given that freedom to kind of go wherever he wants yeah. um, and interchange with the other forwards to, to find that space. Um, Cause that's just, I mean, if you're going to play Ozil, you almost have to give him that freedom um, to be able to do that, to, to be able to maximize everything he is. And then you try to use the rest of your team to, to compensate. Um, and I think if you're going to do that, that's you're going to want a guy like Torreira in there that's going to be able to at least give you a solid midfield and not have be because that was always the thing when you had just the the Ramsey Jaka double pairing. I, I love Ramsey. He's another player that I love, but you know that's one of the, again the the weaknesses that all Arsenal players have. His is that he loves to bomb forward. He's so good at it, but a lot of times it just kills the shape of the team. And when it comes off, it's awesome. But when Arsenal lose the ball and he is standing in the 18-yard box, it's a wide-open midfield, and you cannot expect Xhaka to, to carry that all by himself. So I, I think if you know you do kind of lose uh, a, a nominal forward to be able to go with you know three midfielders, but you still have Ramsey there, and with another guy behind him, you know it gives him a little bit more of that freedom to do it without hurting the team. So you know as we talk through it. I, I almost, you know, think that you have to go with three, three forwards, three midfielders. You know how they actually line up isn't really all that important, and you know I think they can kind of figure it out in the game. And you're going to look for width from your fullbacks to to be able to balance things out. 
Um, but hopefully it's not both fullbacks bombing forward at the same time, you know, really stranding the center backs. I mean, so, I mean, obviously you mentioned Ramsey and how he's been sort of an uncomfortable fit in the midfield. And I mean, he is not re-signed yet. There's been no announcement. We're running out of time. I mean, people forget, but the season starts and the window closes. Obviously, that's the new rule now. The transfer window shuts when the season starts. So are you feeling pretty optimistic, given that he hasn't been moved on yet, that he will be re-signed? I, so if I was to put a, a number on it, I'd say that I'm probably about 70% right now that he, he makes it through this, the, yeah, the season. Um, there really hasn't been many rumors. I mean, you think makes it through the season without re-signing that he plays? In oh the no, 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 no! That, okay. that he does, that he does sign, and okay. that Arsenal keep him through the summer. Because I mean, there just there really hasn't been any rumors out there of you know him being linked to other teams. I know there's been talks of uh, you know a new contract going on. You know, I don't want to. I try not to follow too many of the the in the nose in there, but you know sometimes they get retweeted out there, and it's yeah, it's tough to to try to actually get some some realistic news on where things are actually at. Yeah, it's tough because I think if he's not re-signing, we really do have to sell him and cash in. But you're at a point in the season now, or in the summer, I should say, where if that were to happen, you're pressed for time to bring in a replacement. You could make the argument that we don't need a replacement, that Torreira is actually kind of a Ramsey replacement, and that what we will do instead is play a midfield three that is some combination of Shaka, Torreira, and Ozil, and Mkhitaryan will be in a front three with Lacazette and Aubameyang, and that's how you get everybody into the squad, and, and Ramsey misses out, and he's sold, and we put that money down the road towards a wide forward, maybe in January or something like that. I obviously hope that's not the case. I think there is a little bit too much football manager going on out there where people are trying to construct 11s that get Aubameyang, Lacazette, Mkhitaryan, Ramsey, Ozil all in the side, I don't think you have to do that. You know, I, I mean, we have enough games to play that everybody will get game time. And if that means Lacazette is not a starting player for us or Mkhitaryan is not a starting player for us or he has to fight for that place, I don't think it's the end of the world. It also means when we go up north and Mesut Ozil has the sniffles, you know, we, we still have attacking options. So, I, you know, I, I think that can work. Maybe, you know, for all the hand-wringing about how we're going to put all this great attacking talent onto the pitch, the real hand-wringing should probably be reserved for what we're going to do at the back. So a couple questions for you. First of all, we brought in Leno. I mean, do you, do you, I feel like goalkeeping statistics are still in the dark ages and that they really don't tell us much about the keepers. But have you done any analysis on Leno as a keeper and, and whether you think he was a, a good addition? I, I haven't had a chance to because, I mean, you know, like you said, it's really pretty rudimentary. Um, you know, I've, I've seen some, some stuff out there from people that I do, um, you know, really enjoy their work, you know, showing that based on the, the XG that, you know, he's faced, he's underperformed. Um, one of the things that I'm really interested in, I have a, a kind of a, a shots or a, a post shot model that looks at, you know, is the shot on target where it is. It doesn't take into account, you know, the goalkeeping positioning, um, because that's not necessarily available. I know StatsBomb just came out with that, and I'm you know super jealous that they have that information, and I don't. Um, but it, it's still so, so why, hard why are we to, talking to you? Give me those guys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Keep going. <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, where, where you really do you know are able to to kind of get an idea of all right, well, how how really hard was this shot to save? You know, because there are some from a good spot, but it's right out the keeper. Is that 
should that necessarily be given a, a high probability of being a, a goal? When well, it depends if it's Muslera right in there or Carius in there. You never know. It might go right through, right exactly. through the wickets. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I but, do, yeah, I mean, he so, has I mean, been... It's, so, yeah, sorry, I mean, go ahead. I've seen, I've seen some stats saying that he, he underperforms um, his XG um, based on what he's faced. Um, there's also, I've seen scouting reports saying that he can make a you know the, the really good saves out there, but sometimes he, he loses the concentration and he'll he'll have an error or two in him. Um, See, that scares the so shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, but I mean I don't it's, I mean to me there was a lot of that with with Czech last season too, where he had some of those just clinkers where you'd you'd make an error. Um, Who do you think I, I will mean, start the season as our number one? I mean, I, I not number one shirt, but the the goalkeeper, obviously. I, I think Czech stays as the the Premier League keeper. I think Leno is probably the to starts the season as the, the the Europa League Cup keeper. Where do you come down on the idea of him getting the nineteen and Torreira getting the eleven? Don't care or think it's a crime against humanity? Um, I'm not normally a big guy on shirt numbers. Um, I think it's you know one of the the lower priority things. I think Arsenal's shirt situation right now is you know, a damn disgrace top, yeah yeah top banter uh yeah <laughs> okay um so then assuming it is check who starts in goal and i i know there are a lot of people that say that's the old way of thinking that's the arson wenger way of thinking that leno was you know that amount of money that we put down that's what you spend to get a, a first choice keeper and that check will be the reliable safe pair of hands who plays europa league and cup i mean i i i don't know why i think check will start the premier league i just do i don't know why i cannot explain it um, but we'll see. But as far as how you'd set up the defense, I guess there are a few questions. I mean, first of all, do you take it as gospel, as as just a, a matter of fact that Nacho will be the left back, or do you think that Klasnach will get a chance to compete for that job? Uh, that's. I mean, I it's it's really hard to say because you know Nacho was on international duty with Spain. Luckily, he got to come home a, a bit early with you know Spain's disaster class penalties um so i I think he's probably the the first choice on the 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 depth chart but you know new manager you know you're gonna everybody's gonna have to fight for their spot so i I guess it really probably will depend it might be you know one of those cliche training or training camp battles that you would uh, expect to see um to kind of see who can impress the the coach the most because i i don't think you know given his age if he has the ability to be a modern fullback, which is probably the, the hardest position on the pitch, um, with just the amount of athleticism that is demanded from you. So I think that is definitely something that is definitely still up for grabs. And I wouldn't be surprised if Kalashnetch, um was able to, to take the, the starting job there. It's interesting, right? Because players that were sort of on the uh, garbage pile that were sort of not, not in contention for a squad place or certainly not used by Arsene Wenger really have to feel revitalized now and have a chance to win a place. Another player who's sort of out of nowhere looks like he could be a part of the squad at least is Lucas Perez. I mean, do you expect him to be with Arsenal when the season starts? You know, all, all signs really do point to yes, that he will be here. Um, and I think there's going to be enough game time to go around um, to really give him a, a chance to, to be that, you know, he might be, you know, the Europa League kind of guy, you know, because that's what Giroud did at the the beginning of last season. He, you know, started all of our Europa League matches. And I think that Perez will probably be given a chance there. Um, yeah. You, is you is know, that well the been. end for that guy then? No, I think, I think, I mean, possibly. But I mean, I think because he's another guy that is he had a, a one year left on his deal as well. 
Well, the, the problem you have here, Scott, I mean, if, if Lucas Perez is in the team and, and Welbeck is in the team and Lacazette, let's say there is no starting place for him. I mean, you could be in a situation where two of the three aren't even on the bench on match days. Certainly one of them wouldn't be. You're not going to have Lacazette, Welbeck, and Perez on the bench. And arguably, you're only going to have one of them and it's going to be Lacazette. So, I mean, you, you realistically can't see both staying, can you? I, I honestly, I think that Danny Welbeck's days are probably numbered. I think he's, I'm pulling up transfer market right now to see if we can look at when his contract is up. Because I, I want to say that he's another one of those guys that is right at the, the time where, you know, it's make a decision time on, you know, extend or sell. I think it's his final season, isn't it, of the deal? Pulling it up right now. The suspense is killing me. If I was more professional, I'd put some tense music under this moment of the podcast. I am certainly not going to do that. So in the meantime, just enjoy the sweet sound of mouse clicks as as Scott uh, goes on the interwebs. Transform All right. This, this info brought to you by Transformark. Yes? Here it is. The result. Contract expires 2019. Yeah, so it's his final year. So, I mean, it's, it's sell or lose him on a free. Now, I mean, you might say, what's his transfer value anyway? $8 million, $6 million? Um, I mean, Currently it's still money. Fifteen on transfer market, but that one no one's paying huge, fifteen million for huge, him. Huge grain of salt. F- yeah, I I would say maybe an know, English we'd, club. We'd, we'd, yeah, maybe yeah, eight to ten. You know, shit might be might be World Cup winner Danny Welbeck here in a minute. Yeah, that's true. I mean, look, do I think you could get ten million from a, a lower half of the table English club for him? Maybe, but does it say what he's on in terms of wages? Because I think. No, that, that it doesn't. Yeah, yeah that's I mean, not that's always that, going to be the issue because if he's on eighty thousand a week or even a hundred thousand a week or something like that, and I'm, I'm, I have, I'll admit to not having any idea what it is. That's where you you wind up struggling. But I mean, you look at what's happening around the league and the the power and the attraction and the money in the Premier League. Jean Michael Sarri today announced at Fulham, of all places. Yeah, that was I mean, a, a surprising one for for me. Yeah. I thought he was destined towards a well. A Chelsea, table club. Chelsea was linked with him. So, how about um, real quick a word for Jack Wilshere? I mean, he turns up at West Ham. It feels like this is a transfer that started five years ago and just completed today. Any final words on Jack? <sighs> It's uh, it's a lot of frustration, I guess, with, with that one because it's so much of the the unrealized talent that was there. Uh, just the, the the injuries just really sapped so much of his athleticism. Um, it's yeah, always the, those early games that he played were just so exciting, and he had something that very few players have that ability to kind of dribble through the Solomon runs and. His ability to make passes, because some of those, when you, you watched it, some of his early games, he would try the most audacious through balls, and they would come off. It was amazing. And anytime like you see a player like that, and he doesn't fulfill the promise, and it's not even that he didn't work hard, because you know I, there's never really been any of those kinds of rumors where Jack Wilshire, you know, was a, a slacker, you know, putting it on. It was always just. He couldn't. His body wouldn't let him do it, and no. those are the ones that are always the the saddest to to see. But so I, I really hope him the best because to me he's always been a, a good Arsenal player. Going to the team that's you know I guess he he supported as you know a young young player before he came to to Arsenal's yeah, academy. Whatever. So give me a break. <laughs> Look, I I think you know it must have been incredible. You know, coming to training, learning your dribbling from Alex Leb who had the ball on a string and learning your passing from Cesc Fabregas and yeah, you know, seeing some of the quality. I mean, I realize it wasn't the Invincibles, but still some, some great players to learn from in that moment. And he bursts onto the scene. He, he had an incredible technical level. 
uh, with the ball at his feet, with his passing. He had a burst in midfield. He was light on his feet. I think as the injuries took their toll in his butt, he reshaped his body. He added muscle. He became a little more ponderous. He lost his fitness levels. I think the thing people forget is that when you're 18 years old, when you're 19 years old in professional sport, you know, professional football, that's when you start to make exponential improvements in your play, in your performance. And when you get to be 26, 27 years old, at, you know, at least in midfield anyway, you're at that point, you're just fine-tuning. You know, you're putting the finishing touches on. You're not going to improve dramatically season to season at that point. Jack Wilshire lost the seasons when he should have been making exponential leaps forward in consistency and performance. And so by the time he got fit again, and only really in the last two seasons, he was already past the developmental years and had lost so much of that development and had a body that no longer could do the things and was structured the way it was when he was younger. So there's a lot of sort of unnecessary Jack hate on the timeline on Twitter. I don't fully understand it. I think, you know, I, look, I get it. He maybe liked to smoke. He liked to drink. He liked to party. You know, he, he went out to Bournemouth when we probably could have used him at Arsenal, although there was no guarantee he was going to play and he needed to get fit. And it was in everybody's best interest if he was going to have any last shot at staying at Arsenal. But, you know, I do feel sad for him. I do feel sad. I mean, I think you look at the way Diaby is looked at by Arsenal fans and the reverence and love that he gets uh, in the way his career was destroyed by a bad challenge. And while Jack didn't sort of have that horror moment, you know, he, he should similarly be revered. I mean, he is an Arsenal kid. He was there from the time he was a little kid, and his career was just stolen from him. So I, I wish him nothing but the best, except, of course, when he plays against us, and I certainly think he will probably get a red card at the Emirates for two-footing Shaka in August when, the, when West Ham comes to Arsenal. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, help me out here. What's our best center-back pairing? Is it just obviously Mustafi and Socrates, or do you, do you think there's maybe a little hint or potential that, that Mustafi could go out or it's just doesn't leave us with enough uh, strength and depth again. So I'll, I'll do my, my hedging here. I think that there's a a very good chance that Mustafi doesn't start the season with Arsenal. Um, To me, he seemed like he was almost out at the end of last year or at the, yeah, at the end of the summer transfer window last year. The Koscielny injury makes it tough though, right? And if we're not going to buy, I mean, according to Ornstein, who's not always right, but usually right. This is the end of our first team business. And, I mean, that leaves you with Socrates holding Chambers and Mavropanos. I mean, you can't even really put together two experienced senior center backs to start the season. Would we Would we leave ourselves in that situation? I mean, this is Arsenal. True, fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could argue, look, we have three young center backs we like. We're going to rotate through them. Socrates is going to anchor that defense. I mean, he's 30. If he gets hurt, you're looking at Chambers holding Mavropanos to get through the season. Now, I mean, maybe you say Nacho Monreal has some experience there. Maybe Emre wants to play in a back three, which you know exposes each one of them a little bit less. We'll find out. Um, but it's worrying. I mean, it's, unless you say Ornstein's wrong, we are going to get another center back. But if Mustafi stays, do you just assume it's going to be him and Socrates to start the season? I mean, I think that's probably the, the safest assumption again. I mean, they're both. I guess the only real senior senior players in the in the center backs that are healthy. Um, to me, it's a, something that's concerning because they're both very aggressive front foot kind of players. So it's nice when it comes off, and it can be disastrous when it doesn't. Um, again, I'm hoping structural changes to the tactics are able to um, give them less exposure um, where they're really defending two on two or three on three. So. Um, I'm hopeful. I, I, that's that's really kind of the you know it's the 
the preseason where everything still is shiny and bright and you know there's lots of and we're gonna win the league in the yeah. well i don't know if I'd, i would go that far but i'd say we could finish top four yes i i certainly think you have to you have to say that we are we are in there with a shout. I mean, you look at what's happening at Chelsea, for example, and they don't seem to have their shit together. Manchester United. I, apparently Conte's back for two more years. I don't understand what's happening <laughs> no. there. So Yeah, that is the, the craziest thing. And and then, yeah, the other thing, you know, that Arsenal, and you look at the other teams, um, Arsenal only have one player um, that's at the, the semifinals um, compared to some of the other teams. That um, So uh, Tottenham's got nine at the semifinals. Manchester United's got seven. Manchester City's got seven. Chelsea's got five. Well, Manchester City are going to be fine because they've got players like Riyad Mahrez that are like luxury signings that they can just throw on in meaningless games. It's pretty crazy the way they are consolidating their strength right now. Um, but, you know, that just, that just seems to be the way it is. They've, they've got the best manager. They've got the best squad, and they just keep adding to it. So... Well, let's do this for a second. Let's just play a little bit of fantasy transfer rumor for a second. Cristiano Ronaldo's move to Juventus was confirmed today. It is astonishing. I cannot believe it, but really it's probably yeah, good business. Yeah, definitely a shocking move. Yeah. Shocking, but probably good business for Real Madrid if you consider that... They made a, they made a profit on that transfer. Yeah, can in a, you, in a post-prime player. Now, I realize you're talking about a very unique player who is still right there as one of the top two players in the world, probably. Although, who knows if the cliff is coming for him. And at Juventus, he might get the um, the special attention that is necessary to prolong a career. If, if you see what and, I'm well, it, it, it Definitely. Yeah. But, you know, you also look at moving to, to Syria is probably a, a great move for him. Um, it's a, a league that Slower older players pace, yeah. can really, yeah, can really excel at. And I think that that's There's something in the water a, a there, spot. perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Um, well, listen, I, I, I think the question, though, is the dominoes that fall. So Real Madrid are not going to sell Cristiano Ronaldo and just stick with what they've got. Um, maybe Gareth Bale follows on his way out. I got to think Benzema might be on his way out. They're probably going to reshape their attack at some level. I mean, maybe... Maybe they lean more on Bale, but given his, his injury track record, I think that's almost impossible. Do you want to just kind of hypothesize with me about some some dominoes that you think could fall? To, I'm not asking you to base it on anything you've read or heard. Just if you had to guess, I mean, is this setting up a move for Neymar? Is that what this is all leading to? I mean, to me, like that would be the, I guess, the optimal uh, replacement for, you know, Ronaldo. You know, both play kind of the that same position, uh, but Neymar's just the such the a new... fuck you to Barcelona, also. <laughs> oh, huge! Um, the only thing that really complicates that is, you know, you just went to PSG last year at you know what a quarter of a billion dollars. Like, well, they don't they don't care about money. So, I mean, if they don't, yeah, if but, they well, can't I mean, they keep have, him, they'll know, get the, rid of him. And the FFP, you know, coming in, you know, really reopened on them. So it's like. Are they, they can't take a loss on that. Well, I mean, taking a loss is still recouping something versus not selling at all and having his yeah. wages and his transfer on the books. I mean, if they have to sell an asset to start getting themselves back into compliance, you're not going to find a better asset than that. I mean, if they can get $150 million for him, they're on their way sort of back to the right side of the rules. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's probably, you know, if you're looking for the ideal replacement, um, it is Neymar. Um, you know, the other one that, you know, there would probably be a 1A. I don't know if he's you know, quite at that Neymar level, but um, Hazard, um, who's had a, a hell of a tournament. And to me, um, he does a lot of the things that don't show up on the, the score sheet. He is probably the, the best dribbler um, outside of Messi um, in the world. 
Um, he is so good at progressing the ball. Um, his ability to take on players and get into dangerous spots is really um, probably second to only Messi. And yeah, to me, I think he would be um, a great addition for, they could go um, for both of them. <laughs> it's uh, and they, yeah, to me, like if you if you lose Ronaldo, you're going to have to replace the goals, and I don't think Hazard necessarily replaces those goals on his, on his own. Do they so go after Lewandowski also... and then maybe Bayern go for someone else's striker? I mean, where where do the dominoes how about, go? How about this? Hazard, Harry Kane, Kane, double swoop. <laughs> well, that that's the thing. I mean, I, I realize Kane just resigned, but could that wind up being leveraged to get more money out of him? I mean, Spurs are in a tough spot because. They got a new stadium. They need to fill yeah, it. They I mean, need to I, have I a think, good season. I don't. I don't think Kane leaves this summer, but I think it's definitely a possibility he could be next summer. Um, you know, Tottenham basically put their foot down, saying we're reopen or we're, we're you know opening the new stadium. We're not selling our best player. Um, that would just be a bit of an embarrassment for that club. So I, I bet if it's not going to be this summer, but I. Could, would not be surprised if it was next summer. What about the players that are going to inevitably leave Juventus as a result of this? I mean, Higuain may be starting to be on the tail end himself. And Dybala, I mean, that's the one that you really wonder about. If, if they're going to sell him, is that a case of he's too good not to at least put your hat in the ring for that? I mean, what do you think happens in terms of Juventus reshaping their squad? Yeah, so yeah, I think that, I mean, you know, you look at Higuain, Mandzukic, those are probably the guys that are the most um, disposable and replaceable with Ronaldo. Um, to me, if, if I was, you know, Juventus, I would do everything I could to, to keep Dybala. Um, to me, he is one of the, the, the up-and-coming stars. I mean, he's probably no longer in that up-and-coming stage. He's probably a star, and I can't believe Argentina didn't give him very much game time at all. Yeah. That team is just a, a, a train wreck. Totally. Um, so, yeah. It's yeah. I I mean, if if Dybala is out there, he's a guy that you know Arsenal had all these cash reserves and you know the keeping the powder dry. Um, yeah, go go to the bank and see if you can go get a cash advance and get him. Yep, that was it. That was the end of your thought. That was the end of my thought. Go it, get him. It it ended on, on a weird uh, tone there. I thought, I thought it there did. Was a I, yeah, it, okay. it's okay. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, I just I, don't I, want to interrupt it's, you. It's, it's the it's the off season for you know us podcasters too. We yeah, we're get getting into shape. Look, I, I I am renowned for my interrupting, and now that I'm trying not to interrupt, I'm screwing the whole thing up. So I'm just going to go back to interrupting everybody. It's what I know. It's what I'm good at. So I mean, final thoughts. Is there is there a player out there that you wish we would go for? A player out there you think we still could be in for? A move that you think? we failed to make in the summer. I mean, let's, let's do this. Let's say this is the end of the first team business. Give me an American style letter grade for the summer we've had. Um, to me, it, it feels like a, a B plus. I, B I feel plus. like we've, okay. yeah, we've taken, we've taken care of um, some of the really pressing needs added depth where depth is needed um, and took out the, the big glaring hole that is defensive midfield. Um, really the, the last things that are outstanding are some, a wide forward. I mean, I think if Arsenal had a, a wide forward that they'd signed, um, I think we'd be in a range. Yeah. I, I think wide forward is a pretty obvious miss, but at the same time, we have so many attacking players that we need to try to integrate that maybe it's just a case of setting up the team with what we've got. I mean, don't get me wrong. We, we need a wide forward and that, that is a need that will become, more keenly felt as players like Lacazette and Mkhitaryan start to, or pardon me, Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan and even Ozil to some extent start to age out of their prime. But I think we can get away without it. I, I would have liked to have seen one more sort of pre-prime quality center back maybe 
and and if that means Mustafi leaves, I'm fine with it. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think. So here's the funny thing, Scott. If you just look at the summer, I think it's a B. It's a solid B. We we addressed a major need with a huge potential star in center midfield, and then we were very workmanlike in the way we addressed other issues and we left wide forward unaddressed. If you add the January window into the equation and say, really, you can't look at this window without factoring in January, and you say we were able to swap an end of his contract, uh, Alexis for Mkhitaryan. We were able to re-sign Ozil. We got Aubameyang. You add that to what we've done, it's much closer to like an A- minus or an A. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you look at the Arsenal squad, the way that they, they've kind of put, built together, there is a lot of talent in the team. Um, and I think that it'll be interesting to try to squeeze all that talent on the, the pitch at the same time. And I don't even know if it's going to necessarily be possible. But... You know, I don't know. I, I like the way it stacks up against um, the other top four contenders. I mean, it's not going to be... I, I don't think that Arsenal competes with Manchester City for the title this year, but I, I think that they have a, a very good shot of um, third, fourth. Um, and, you know, things break really good second, third. So um, I, I think that it should be a, an interesting season, and I'm hoping for a, a good, long... Europa League run like we saw last year, but hopefully a better semifinal result. And I, I think that this could be a, a fun, interesting thing. I'm interested what Emery's going to do. Um, I've, I've come around a lot since our uh, shocking first day that he was announced kind of at the pod, uh, podcast. But I'm, yeah, hmm. I'm coming along. Yeah, well, I, I will tell you what, I am, I'm excited. I think the combination of a new coach not manager but coach with new tactics um a chance for a full season with Aubameyang Mkhitaryan Ozil Ramsey Lacazette I mean there's a lot of attacking talent so we should at least even if Emery's tactics are a little more defensively oriented which I wouldn't mind that that should be plenty to be excited about we've got at least it appears the the anchor to the midfield that we've been crying out for really since Gilberto left with the exception of maybe one season to Matthew Flamini um, I, I just think there's a lot to be excited about. And do we look like we could be a little open at the back? I mean, we do, but it can't be any worse than what we just experienced. So fingers crossed it will be an exciting season. I think we can leave it there. We will come back with more podcasts uh, as warranted. I mean, I guess we have preseason starting this weekend. Is that right? Do we have a a match? This, the, I want to say this Saturday. Is it the, the Boreham Wood one? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, Boreham Wood versus Arsenal, Meadow Park. So... Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll come back after the first preseason game. I have no idea if that'll be watchable, but uh, if it is, we'll break it down. If it yes, isn't, we'll have, pretend we saw it and broke it down. How about that? Have, have to hit up Arsenal player and see if it's on there. Yeah, this is such a great time of year for Arsenal player. You know what I mean? It's like, this is this is their moment. In any event, Scott's on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. He's going to be doing uh, a lot of statsy stuff for us throughout the season, and he's a great follow on Twitter if you uh, are getting into the analytics side of the game and want to read some of the fine work he's doing. Scott, thanks as always. Thank you. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We have a lot of fun stuff scheduled for uh, this upcoming season, a lot of new features and things we'll be doing. So I hope you'll stick with us. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Tim, Paul, Clive, the usual usual people who deserve it. Uh, but, you know, as for us, say nice things. In any event, uh, enjoy the, semi, the other semifinal, England-Croatia. Enjoy the final of the World Cup. Be sure to watch Arsenal kick off their preseason. And uh, we'll come back to you shortly. Cheers. Cheers.